Well, as you can see, I'm not Mark Tanner. <laughs> um, Mark has the flu, and uh, on this week, he and I have been trying to get up with each other to plan the uh, elder agenda for this afternoon. And unfortunately, we kept missing each other. Uh, one day, he, uh, I called, and he was in the process of performing marriage ceremony for, for uh, Tommy and Kathy. Cats, y'all stand up. So uh, when I finally got with, up with him, it was Friday. He uh, was so sick so, uh, Thursday, he couldn't call me back. And so um, when I finally, ca he called me on Friday morning, and he sounded pretty bad, as you can imagine, with somebody with the flu. And so I, uh, I asked him if he, what he, how he was feeling, and he told me. And he said, well, I, I, I think that I can't preach, but I will if I have to. He said, I asked Bentley sadly, is Bentley here? Yeah. He, oh, I, I thought maybe he was hiding this morning. Because uh, Mark asked him if he would preach uh, before I talked to him. He, interestingly, you know, he didn't ask me if I'd preach. He asked Bentley because Bentley is so famous and well-known. So uh, anyway... Uh, <laughs> So, so I told him, I said, well, I'll try to find somebody, but you don't need to be there. I thought for your sake and, and for his, he didn't need to be here. So I tried a couple of people, and guess what? I couldn't find anybody. Uh, so, so at any rate, I, I told him, I said, well, I called Bentley back because Bentley called me in the meantime and said, well, uh, I will do it if he can't. Well, I said, well, I felt bad because Bentley uh, has done it several times, and I haven't done it since for a long, long time. And so I told Bentley, I said, well, if you don't feel like doing it, well, well I will do it. He said, well, I'm looking forward to hearing you. <laughs> so here I am. You're stuck with me. You know, I believe that everything happens for a reason, and it's, for God, it's all in God's plan. I'm really wanting to decline today, but here I am, because I think that's what God wanted me to do. I believe that God has given me the ability to uh, speak in public, even though I often stumble when I do. My wife tells me I often say things the opposite of what I mean. So, uh, and my Sunday school, uh, or the, our life group can tell you that I stumble over words all the time. So just pray for me this morning. And imagine that I'm having to follow after Ed Germain last Sunday. How would you like to do that? Uh, Ed Germain, by the way, referred to the old, old guy, and I'm the old guy. So here we are. Uh, and speaking of Ed Germain, and I'm the, uh, didn't we have an awesome 54th Annual World Missions Conference? Uh, if uh, this was Jonathan's first year as chairman, but he has a wonderful missions team backing him up. So uh, we're thankful for the conference and for the speakers. And if you missed it or you want to see part of it, I think it's available on our website. So check it out at uh, churchreasonable.org. I, uh, I have thought a lot about the message today.
uh, when I found out late Friday afternoon that I was going to be the guy, the first thing I thought about was Romans 12. I looked to see what Mark was planning on uh, preaching on today, and he was going to have a Thanksgiving uh, sermon. So I'm going to let him preach that next Sunday if he, he wants to. Personally, I feel we are more uh, unified today as a church than we've been in a very long time. Today's message is intended to reinforce and to help build on our unity. Uh, for the past 12 years, I have served as an elder of this church, and I have, and along with Mike Clifton, I was with the two longest and, uh, uh, members, and Edwin Gunn, uh, on the uh, missions, I mean on the uh, elder, see what I mean about saying something I don't mean to say. But God, uh, I, I want, I, there's been many a times that I wanted to uh, step aside. It hasn't always been a rewarding experience. Sometimes I've been frustrated and, and there have been times that I wanted to quit and give up, but God wouldn't let me. I felt compelled to hang in there for one reason or another. It has been a rewarding experience sometimes, though at times a very humbling experience. This is God's church. The elders are servants, and that is the way that I view my role. I thank God for the privilege of serving this church. At the same time, I am uniquely aware of my own shortcomings. At, uh, I can't fix things. Only God can. Uh, I'm losing my place. That's the problem I have. All churches are filled with imperfect people. So we make mistakes, and it's okay to do so. And it's okay for you to let us know when we make mistakes. Just be kind about it. I thought about giving a message, as I said, on Thanksgiving, but my mind and the Holy Spirit kept bringing me back to, to Romans 12. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to give you another confession. I preached this same sermon when Dan Jones was pastor, so you know that's been a long time ago. Now, it's true that I've learned a lot since I preached that message, and I had to go back and do quite a bit of updates. But I have, uh, I have worked on it, and uh, the, the content or the meaning of the message is the same. But uh, a lot of changes had to be made. Uh, so let's look together at Romans 12, verses 1 through 16. And I'm reading, I'm, uh, Mark Tanner uses the NIV, ESV, and uh, my friend Kevin back there and is always giving me a hard time about using the NASB 1995 edition, but me and Mike Clifton love that version, so that's the one I'm going to use this morning. <clears throat> So, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, 
For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to portion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. As Christians, God has given all of us the gifts that he expects us to use for his serve, to serve him. The late Henrietta Mears, in her book, What the Bible is All About, said, Until we have been saved by his grace and transformed by his love, we can do little for God. But when we present ourselves to Christ and become filled with his love, we can find much to be done. Christ uh, wants a living sacrifice, not a dead one. Many will die for Christ. Few will live for him. One definition of the modern Christian is a person who will die for the church he will not attend. Many, how many of us say nothing when Christ's name is brought into question or used in vain? I would add that our sacrifice must be holy. What exactly does holy mean? One definition I found said, dedicated to religious use, beginning, belonging to or, be, or coming from God. There's a deeper meaning because there is a relationship between holy and whole. In Hebrew, the word translated holy means to be set apart for a specific purpose. So my definition for holy is that we are set apart with a purpose to serve God. And unless we are holy, we are not whole. Under Jewish laws, the Jews were required to make animal sacrifices or ceremonial surrender to God. Note that the mercies of God, note that the mercies of God form the basis for Paul's appeal. The demand is for a spiritual worship rather than a ceremonial worship. Paul is contrasting the worship that expresses the gospel under the new covenant with the ex external nature of Israel's temple worship. But true worship is embracing the whole of the Christian's life from day to day and includes the importance of congregational assembly 
which is worship's primary focus. The consecration involves both body and mind. Paul urges us to present ourselves as living persons. The idea here is to yield ourselves to God and express in, as expressed in Romans 6, 13, and 19. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. If we allow him, the Spirit will direct us in the way that we should go. God tells us that our body is sacred. Therefore, we should yield to his service. Do you realize that the Christian faith is the only religion outside of Judaism that recognizes the body as sacred? The yielding of the life is holy, in, in holy living is well-pleasing to God. Paul wrote these words to the Philippians in Philippians 4.18. But I have received everything in full and, and have an abundance. I am amplified, amply supplied, having received from Ephroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The living and holy sacrifice also includes the mind. But notice what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Before our minds can be offered as a living sacrifice, it must first be renewed. Do you understand what this means? It means that we recognize God's will as right and fit and ideal. This is a miracle of transformation, a readjustment to both present and internal, eternal realities. Transformation requires change a change of mind or heart, if you will, to recognize God's will. Being a living sacrifice requires us to be humble. Paul declares that gifts that come from God ought to be used with humility. It is easy for us to fancy ourselves and become self-important. Therefore, Paul says, we must remember that the gifts we have come from him. From God, every Christian ought to be so ought not to be so conceited in his self estimate, but to think of himself and his gift with sober judgment. We must measure ourselves by the standard that God has given us in faith. Paul uses a picture that we can all relate to in every culture: the body. Uh, to define the nature of the Christian community. The church is made up of many people with different and diverse gifts, but all part of one body, the body of Christ. When Paul refers to us as the body, 
He is clearly thinking of the Christian community as a living organism made up of various members cooperating in mutual service. We need each other. Those endowments given by God to every believer by grace are to be used in God's service. The words grace and gifts come from the same root word. The gift that are listed in this passage of Scripture or elsewhere in, in uh, Scripture are not meant to be all ex- an exhaustive list. If you looked at all of the list and all of the different passages of the, uh, of the, the Bible, you would find that uh, they are not all included in any one passage. It seems that Paul's purpose in listing the gifts that he does is to demonstrate that they are given to us by the grace of God. He says that since they are given to us by God's grace, we should use them accordingly. Every Christian should know that their gifts, what their gifts are, and how to use them to the glory of God. Do you know what your gifts are? I believe that if you desire a gift from God, that through prayer, he will grant those requests. By the same token, if you have a gift and don't use it, you could lose it. In the, in the discovery class that we have for new members, we include a section on spiritual gifts, and we list all the spiritual gifts, and we include a survey in there to help new members discover what their gifts are. If you're, if you're not a new member and you've never seen this survey and you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, ask the pastor for a copy. If you know what your gifts are, are you using them to the glory of God? Let's take a gift like exhortation. Exhortation uh, is one of uh, the ones that Paul uses in this text. Do you realize how important that gift is? Exhortation means to urge, to push, to press, to encourage. If you have the gift, when is the last time you exhorted someone in this church to do something and then told them how much you appreciated it? If you recognize that someone in the church has a spiritual gift, why not tell him or her? To be honest with you, there are some people in the church who are my lifeline. My wife is one of them. Uh, Some would say that she exhorts and corrects me a lot, but I need it. Uh, We talked about it in our class this morning. Uh, Sometimes I don't always appreciate it, to be honest. And sometimes she has to correct me. But she's not the only one. I appreciate so much the exhortation, uh, uh, the people in the Word of Life class that, I, that Lynn and I co-teach who exhort me, who encourage me. I'm sure Lynn would say the same thing. That encouragement and exhortation keeps me going. Pastor Mark is an encourager as is Lynn and Pat Apple and Mike and B.J. Clifton, and as many others are. I appreciate those who are always pressing and exhorting me. We are all needs reminding that our service is needed and appreciated. Paul says this is all part of being a living sacrifice. 
I want to say something about using our talents as well. Isn't it wonderful when we look at the praise band and singers on Sunday morning? We take a lot of that for granted, and we take for granted what's needed to conduct a worship service. But the people who make it work are important, such as Nick, who's up there, and doesn't, we don't see him, but he's the one who fitted me with his mic, so if it don't work, it's not his fault, it's mine. Uh, and then there's uh, Mark Davis and Jackson Tanner and Mike, Michael Clifton and others. Those folks give up their time every Sunday morning to prepare and make our service meaningful. Let's not forget about Catherine Davis, who plays the piano for us to prepare us for service. Uh, we should thank God for blessing us with talented people who lead us in worship. I believe that what makes all of this possible is love. Here is a in verse 9, Paul focuses on love. And that's agape love, self-giving action on behalf of others made possible by God's Spirit. Paul's concern is how the Christians relate to other people. This, become especially, this becomes especially clear in Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In his commentary on the epistle to the Romans, C.E.B. Cranfield has this to say about this text. God, in his love, has claimed us holy for himself and for our neighbors. And love, of which Paul speaks here, is the believer's yes in thought and feelings, words and deed, unconditional and without reservations, to that total claim of the loving God insofar as it relates to the neighbor. A yes, which is no human possibility but the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what Cranfield is saying? Except by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot love without reservation, unconditional. Paul says we must love without hypocrisy. He says it must be genuine, not counterfeit or showy. It is possible to pretend even to oneself to love others. John Calvin wrote, It is difficult to express how ingenuous almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which, may do, which they do not possess. They deceive not only others, but also themselves while they persuade themselves that they have a true love for those whom they do not, not only treat with neglect, but also, in fact, reject. Paul says that the type of love that the church should demonstrate is what we call 
uh, Philadelphia. And that's where the city of Philadelphia gets his name, brotherly love. Uh, this is the tender affection found in families. How appropriate this love is to those in the church, which is the Christian family. Cranfield argued on theological grounds that the fellow believer is the representative of Christ to me. Therefore, you are to honor your fellow Christian above yourself. Paul says that we are to give preference to one another in love. It's not unusual for folks in the church to get all stirred up about one thing or another. In this church, it could be, or any church for that matter, it could be music or the budget or, or the sermon or the preacher or the elders or whatever, on and on. As Christians, we must remember the admonition that Paul makes in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Let me ask you something. When we get all stirred up over one thing or another because it's not to our personal liking, are we showing brotherly love? I don't care on which side of an issue you find yourselves. Being part of the body means you are a working part. You shouldn't go out and get stirred up and get other people stirred up in the process. You want to promote harmony. You want to practice brotherly love. What must we do? First, we must recognize that change is inevitable. That doesn't mean we change our message. God forbid. Folks on both sides of an issue must step back and recognize that we are all part of the family of God. Give preference to one another in honor. Notice that Paul says we shouldn't lag behind in diligence and that we should be fervent in spirit. I'm certainly not a Greek scholar, so I can't necessarily go back to the original language. But I do know the English meaning of the word diligent. It means that you are thorough, attentive, and careful. And following as it does Paul's admonition on love, I believe that we could safely say that love requires diligence, it requires thoughtfulness, it requires attention, and it requires care. The word fervent means to be passionate, ardent, eager, zealous. Not only are we to be diligent, we are to be passionate. Some people have a passion for certain music or certain foods or certain sports or certain books. The idea here is love. It allowed to rule will never be, will never let passion or diligence to lag in our spiritual service. But not only are we to be diligent and fervent, we are to persevere. We aren't to stop doing what we know to be right just because the doing, the going gets tough. What makes this possible is joyful hope in one's inheritance in the age to come, coupled with daily continuous prayer. I would be less than honest if I didn't didn't tell you that I get discouraged and sometimes feel sorry for myself and want to give up. 
whether you are an elder or a trustee or a stewardship member or a member of the band or missions committee or a life group teacher or whatever job you have in church, you can't make everyone happy. As a result, people will tell you when they don't like something that you've done or something you said or whatever. When they do, your feelings get hurt. You feel sorry for yourself. You say to yourself, why can't this person see things the way that I see them? I know that I'm right. Why can't they see it my way? When I say this, I'm talking to myself. Because we are all human, we can only overcome with the help of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we get angry and we say, I'll just quit. No one really appreciates me anyway. If I quit, maybe they will realize how important I am. Maybe if I quit, they will come to their senses. Possibly, many of us have thoughts run through our mind about quitting the church at one time or another. Finding a new church, one that that appreciates us more. One that always sees things the way that I do. But you know what? There are no churches like that around. Every church you go to has problems of its own. For me personally, when I think of the price that Jesus paid for me on Calvary, how he suffered a lot more than I've ever suffered or I've ever imagined suffering, let alone endured, I'm ashamed of myself. And I think of the person who exhorts me, the one who encourages me, and the one who tells me I'm appreciated. And then I realize how petty I am. And the Spirit speaks to my heart and reminds me of the love of God. Paul says, perseverance and tribulation devoted to one another in prayer. We sometimes face tribulation and suffering from outside the church. While, the, uh, n- while this nation was founded on Christian principles, you run across people of different faiths and are offended by Christians. Therefore, we are so worried about offending someone in our society who may not have the same view that we do that we are afraid to confront someone with the claims of the gospel for fear of offending them. We must remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Personal witnessing is essential. Don't be afraid to speak up about the claims that Christ has made on your life Those claims are life-changing. I understand that not everyone witnesses the same way. And you may feel inadequate to do it. I have in my life. 
Our life group is doing a study series called Interlock. Do you know what that means? It's a Bible study integrating the Genesis to Revelations narrative, doctrine, and apologetics to live as thriving disciples of Christ. In other words, the way you become an effective witness for Christ is to know the Bible, God's Word. You see, the story of the Bible is a story of God's mercy, grace, and salvation from Genesis to Revelations. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which uh, we have read in our class recently, God say, said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the bat cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. How wonderful that we are made in the image of God. So why aren't we sharing with others more and more in our own way as God enables us. And just as just an aside, did you notice in that verse it says, Let us, who is the us? We worship one God, but he's in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is more important, worrying about offending someone because you talk about your beliefs or allowing that person to be lost if we believe Jesus is the way the truth and the life we should be willing to suffer the ridicule that we fear when Paul calls us to be a living sacrifice we must understand that it isn't an easy task to sacrifice means to give up something Jesus gave up his very life for us. The truth is, the reason most people don't witness or do a lot of other things that God commands us to do is that it requires sacrifice. Sacrifice of time, sacrifice of our pride. When someone ridicules us, sacrifice of our money. It, it requires us to persevere. To hang in there when the going gets tough. What about you? Are you persevering? Are you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice? You will notice in verse 13, the re renewing of the mind found in verse 2 is just an interior matter of mind and emotions. But involves is not just an interior matter of mind and emotion, but involves concrete outer actions such as giving to those in needs. Paul says that not only must we refrain from desire, desiring that harm should come to those who persecute us, but we should desire good to them and show them this desire is no more pretense by actually praying for God's blessings upon them. It's hard to pray for somebody who persecutes you, isn't it? Christians are called upon to do to not just what the consensus calls good, but also those things that are inherently good. Sharing your fellow believers' joys and 
sorrows, admonishes the uh, apostle, live in harmony with one another. Barrett says that, the, that this literally means that we should mind the same things. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one another. Uh, let me conclude this morning by saying this. If each of us offers ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice, we will not only be acceptable to God, he will do tremendous things in this place called Grace Fellowship. To do this requires that we love without hypocrisy and show brotherly love to one another. But we can't do it alone. It requires a renewing of our minds. This renewing of our minds comes from knowing God, Christ, and from his indwelling spirit in our hearts. Do you know Christ? If you don't, will you, will you uh, take the first steps in knowing him? All that is required to know Christ is to confess that you are a sinner. Admit that you can't save yourself and seek the forgiveness of sin by praying. Nothing fancy, just simple childlike faith is all that is required. Faith that believes that he is able to do it. It's not magic, but is one of the mysteries of God. But just because it is a mystery doesn't mean it isn't true. We know it's true because Jesus said it was. In John 6, 40, Jesus said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Is Christ, is God drawing you to give your life to Jesus? Is his Spirit speaking to you today? Now is the acceptable hour of salvation. The writer of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, and I remember reading uh, th this commentary years ago by uh, Donald Gray Barnhart. I don't know, he's an old, he's a, uh, was a, this is when I was in my early 30s, but uh, Donald Gray Barnhart quoted this this uh, passage from Pilgrim's Progress because uh, he said that until he uh, read this, this particular verse that I'm going to quote, he thought I was lost and undone with no hope. But in, in 637 of John, it says, All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. This is a clarion call to salvation. No matter what your sin is, God is calling you. You have the assurance of Jesus himself that he will hear your prayer. He who calls to him, he will certainly not cast out. Will you answer his call? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but after hearing this message, you want to become a living sacrifice. Will you answer the call? Let us pray. Dear Lord, this morning as we come together, I recognize my own frailties and my own shortcomings. 
But I thank you this morning. You've enabled me to, to deliver this, your word. And I hope it's in a, been in a clear way that some heart has been touched. And that it's, even if we don't make a profession this morning, or we don't answer the call, Lord, I just pray that you would dwell in our hearts with your spirit to convict us as we need. We thank you for each one who's here, and we thank you for those who are visiting with us today, and we just praise and honor you for all that you do. In Christ's name, amen.